Hi everyone, we'll start at the top of the hour. Thank you for coming. In the meantime, I'm adding the paper right now. So if you want to have a look at it, there we go. Hi, Lavina. Hey, Mike. Hey, Abraham. Hi, Bio. Thanks for coming. We'll start at the top of the hour. Hi, Ben. If you want to come up and participate in the discussion, feel free to come up. Um, I think it will be interesting. Uh, hi, Ben. How are you? Relatively. Hey, Katrina. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. I've got a call in six minutes, a brief call. Uh, but I should better hang around before and after that. So. Oh, great. Yeah, I think today is kind of a more intuitive topic. So I think it's good for participating today. So everyone feel free to join uh, the stage and our guest speaker should be here in, in a couple of minutes. So thank you. Hi, Lavina. I haven't talked with you in forever. How are you? Yeah, I know. I'm I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good too. Yep, I think. Oh, excellent. Our schedules don't overlap too much, probably. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's just been a bit crazy. I've been traveling quite a lot and attending a few conferences and speaking at them. So I think it's been more on my side. Um, but I think things are going to quieten down a lot now. Um, I love today's topic. I mean, you know, it, it reminds me somewhat of, uh, you know, a, a, a bit on collective intelligence. Um, so really intrigued. Yeah, I love this topic too. And um, there, there was a 
data about it when people are in the same room. Um, but I don't want to give too much away <laughs> for a guest speaker. So I, but um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I agree. Hi, Mitch. Um, hi, uh, Wesley. Everyone that wants to join the discussion, I think today, I mean, I, I always um, welcome everyone to participate. I think it's just more interesting and everyone gets everyone has different types of questions so it makes it way more interesting but especially today i think it's relative intuitive uh research so um yeah please join us Hi, Frank. Do you want to come up? I think today's room will be interesting. Also from the research related to the research you do. So welcome, everyone. So I'm going to dive off for this call, Katrina, but the, I'll pop back later on. The topic looks really fascinating, though. As a keen gamer and somebody with an interest in science, I'm quite interested in the topic. So I'll see if I can come back okay, later. Okay, perfect. Yeah, usually we take a little bit of introduction and a little bit of interview. So until we get to the research, it takes around 10, 15 minutes. So you shouldn't miss too much, maybe. <laughs> okay. Hey everyone, we'll start any minute. Our guest speaker should be here any minute. So thanks for coming. And in the meantime, you can check out the paper that's pinned on top of the room. Um, and how? Um, oh, hi. Hi, uh, I hope I'm saying your name right. I, I don't know. <laughs> Um, so do you know how to unmute? It's all the way on the bottom right. There's your, the microphone symbol. Uh, if you, yep, perfect. 
right, right. I found. Yeah. I'm all right. Just just a moment. I need to figure out my headphones. They are somehow not connected. Oh, but right now your voice sounds great. So. Okay, um, so welcome everyone to the Science Society and of course a special welcome uh, to you Vatte and again I hope I'm saying your name right um, and um, let me give a brief introduction Valtteri Wikström he is a doctoral researcher and the Department of Education and Cognitive Brain in the Cognitive Brain Research Unit and he's um, in the doctoral program Brain and Mind at the University of Helsinki. And um, yeah, today he will talk about the paper that's on top with the title Interbrain Synchronization Occurs Without Physical Co-Presence During Cooperative Online Gaming. And um, yeah, welcome to uh, our club and thank you so much for coming here today. Thanks for inviting me, Katarina. It's great to be here. And before so, we start, we usually ask like a few interview questions, if that's okay with mm -hmm. you. Um, so how come the, that you picked like um, the field of science? Was it something you always wanted to do or was there some specific um, that you wanted to, like a book or some teacher or professor that kind of elicited the 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 interest in, in doing science? That's a great question. Yeah, yeah, I have to think. Well, at least, uh, I mean, it was not something I was always thinking to do, to be, be to do science, but uh, I think I kind of ended up doing it through some, uh, some research assistant work. So just during my undergrad, I ended up at the lab and actually, uh, then who person who is now my supervisor was the person who was running that lab so i guess i just found a nice group of people who who i like to work with and that's how i ended up doing science well great so and your research is about people and how they work together so that's quite interesting and um how did this project come about was this something that you were kind of curious about or was this like ongoing research or did people like think that you know it was something you should do or did people think you're crazy you know <laughs> <laughs> so is there like a back story about this specific project maybe yeah so the so the lab that i joined back then for for as a research assistant is uh, like a music and neuroscience lab so it's not really exactly the topic that i ended up then then uh, continuing with so what actually happened was that uh, I had some uh, colleagues from that that lab and after a while I had already stopped being a research assistant there but they knew that I was into this kind of things like interactive media and uh, emotions and stuff like that so we applied for a competition like uh, basically like there was a bigger group of, of people but just me and then then a phd student i wasn't a phd student even at the time and we got then funding for ourselves which was quite rare i would say in that 
in that way that we could start with our own ideas. So, so the, that's how how we like out of interest, but without a, like a professor at the time, like who who would uh, who would be an expert on this field. Oh, that's great. And uh, that's great that you actually had funding for this. I know we do sometimes projects without any funding. So congratulations and to this <laughs> uh, great uh, publication that I think got some interest. So that's really great that, um, you know, this came out of it. So, um, yeah. And yeah, so the stage is yours to like give everyone like um, um overview over your research if you want to also talk about um you know related projects um feel free to do so and yeah the stage is yours thank you great uh, just before i start i would like to ask that the audience here i suppose is very from different disciplines so i should maybe start with uh, short introduction or yes yeah or yeah think? i think that would be good thank you yeah all right so hi everyone uh so today i'm going to present this uh, paper that has been linked on the top this uh, interbrain uh, synchronization occurs without physical co-presence during cooperative online gaming and uh, to start with i guess i should maybe introduce some some uh concepts like especially related to this interbrain synchronization so um there's a phenomenon that has been found here, like uh, in, in the last, I, I would say, uh, well, in the last 20 years at least, maybe, and it, it, the research has been increasing uh, all the time. Now, now you find quite many papers published uh, this year, which which deal with the topic of interbrain synchronization. And it's like a phenomenon that um, uh, sees that the, the brains of people uh, tend to, end up in a similar state when people are interacting together and uh this this is of course a very wide wide concept like similarity in brain states is, is uh, can mean various things and interaction can mean various things but but certain uh kind of general uh aspects have been found that that seem to repeat from study to study at least uh quite often so so first of all like um it seems that uh, people who are closer together they seem to uh synchronize more and then uh, also people who cooperate tend to synchronize more than people who compete in a similar task but then again those those kind of things seem to depend also on the task itself so in a certain situation it, it might not be like that and it has been linked then with uh, pro-sociality, so uh, kind of empathy-related uh, features. So the, the, when when people are are experiencing more empathy or when they are more empathetic, they, they would then have more of this synchronization. And on the other hand, with cooperation in the form of like a, a cooperative performance, then seems to be that if, if you're working together on a task, then, then there will be synchronization occurring uh, this is my dog sorry <laughs> lucky yeah and uh, so what, what we wanted to study with with our 
the paper, or what, what uh, the study that our paper is presenting is, is about uh, whether or not this uh, type of synchronization requires uh, physical presence, because mostly the research has been done with people interacting face to face and at the very least then in the in the same space together. So then there's of course aspects in the space and like uh, noises and, and movements and gestures and so on, which which can be seen and, and then could be a cause for this. So we wanted to see if we can uh, recognize some uh, some of this uh, synchronization to occur also also online when people are interacting only by a computer and then not just that but if we can link it then to, to um, cooperation in, in that situation so uh, from this starting point we we needed to design an experiment where it's possible to measure the the cooperation and that's kind of the approach that we decided to take so uh, we wanted to create a task where we could see like okay if, if people are cooperating better if they, their uh, cooperation ends with better results does it then uh, reflect in this synchronization and in, in, in which way and it was not so uh, simple to figure out a task for this because uh, first of all we didn't want to have uh, like uh, some audio or videos like we didn't want to replicate the face-to-face -face situation in online interaction rather we wanted to have a like a something something that happens in a way purely computer mediated somewhat abstract so that there would be a, a kind of very controlled environment where we know all the all the things that are happening we know the interaction and we were thinking of all kinds of uh, different games and tasks that that could could work like this and could could then be like uh, good at producing something something some feedback that that would be required for this kind of synchronization to occur and uh, what we then started uh, or got most inspired about was maybe this kind of uh, mirror game type task so the mirror game is like a uh, paradigm that was uh, developed for studying social social cognition and especially like this kind of joint movement where people are moving like a, a slider or, or something else but the, the like the task task is to follow the other, like the same pattern together but there's not like a clear pattern uh, like mirroring each other basically and when we started started with this uh, idea but then uh, we kind of quickly realized that uh, to measure then uh, this interbrain synchronization during during such a mirroring task would would be like quite difficult because we would have a hard time controlling for the artifacts that could come from from muscle movement. So uh, brain brain imaging methods and especially. EG, which we wanted to use here because EG is like a lightweight method which uh, can be used um, quite easily in in like a relatively normal situations compared to like then uh, other methods which might require like a whole room or like an MRI tube where you put the person inside. So we wanted to have something light, lightweight and 
also we had experience with EG, but in any case, the EG method especially is uh, quite uh, vulnerable to noise caused by muscle activity. So if you would have a task which requires people to mirror each other and synchronize the movement, then it would be very likely that we would also get then kind of uh, even more muscle uh, information in our data than, than information coming from the from the uh, brain itself. So this uh, thinking uh, led, led us to then try to figure out the task uh, in which the people who are uh, performing it, the pair who is performing the task would have like a need to, to not uh, do the same thing at the same time. And this is how, how we then ended up uh, with, with a game where people are steering uh, or driving a car together and the other person is steering the car and the other is accelerating. To some extent, this was inspired also by an episode of, uh, of the TV show Top Gear, where they actually built these kind of cars, but uh, with, with like they welded together two cars and one person was sitting on the top car. It's quite funny to see, watch if you want to check it out. You can find it on YouTube if you look, look for uh, double-decker cars. But yeah, um, so, so we created this kind of game then, which in which it's just shown from like top, like from bird eye, eye view, and then uh, there's a car driving around racetracks, and then one person then has to steer the car, and the other brakes and accelerates it. And uh, this task was also good in in another way because uh, I was very interested to. Uh, or I've been very interested in general to use uh, physiological data also for um, real-time use, like interact interactive use. So I was kind of curious to measure measure also this interbrain synchronization, not just like over like a whole whole period, over a whole experiment, and then based on the performance during that experiment make some analysis, but also to analyze. Uh, as, as granular data as possible. So, so with this task, we could actually um, divide the track. So I, I, in case you have the paper open, you can look at the uh, first figure, figure one, and there you can see one of, one of the tracks and uh, on the uh, next, next to it, you can see the same track, but in like a, how, how it was represented for the for the computer. So what we did is we, we took the track and we divided it to, to quite short uh, segments and uh, then labeled them with, with, uh, with like a, a specific trigger value. And in this way, we could uh, send uh, triggers, which are like uh, these kind of mar markings for the EG recording device. And uh, um, those those markings tell tell the device uh, usually what stimulus is presented at what time. But in our case, it would then tell where in the track exactly and on which track uh, the the team was was located. So uh, with this, we were able to create uh, also like a granular measure. So not just like measuring lap times or measuring uh, how many laps 
the, the team perf performed during the the task, but rather we could uh, see how fast they were in between each each uh, track segment, and how we then uh, used that was was that we uh, because of the way we were analyzing the interbrain synchrony, we we uh, needed around three seconds of data to to make a uh, uh, like to create a value for for the interbrain synchrony. Uh, so we cut cut our uh, data into three second segments, and then we could see that um, during those three second segments, uh, or during one three second segment, uh, from uh, which uh, where where which track segment did they start from, and which did they end up in, and how long was the time between those segments, and then by comparing that time to the uh, performance in uh, of the like all the other pairs then we could uh, give a score for for then each three second second segment on on the track and in this way we could then analyze also the uh, mo momentary performance and uh, and uh, momentary synchronization yeah so that that was the task and um, then I guess I will tell about the analysis and results of, of that. Uh, but in, if, in case someone has now any comment or question about about the setup, the task itself, then I, I'd be happy to hear it here at this point. Yeah. Um, so they were not able to like text or message or in any other way, right? The only communication was playing the game. Right, that was the only way to communicate, basically. Yeah, exactly. So they were placed in um, separate uh, rooms, so soundproofed, uh, like measurement rooms, and only only they could then communicate through the game. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. All right. So yeah. I was telling already about the quickly about the uh, interbrain synchronization, and uh, the way we decided to analyze is it is uh, uh, by analyzing the so-called uh, phase synchronization. So there's a couple of ways you could, because uh, synchronization as such basically only means like a temporal similarity of things. <laughs> so it, it it could be measured in various ways. But but what we uh, did, we measured the uh, phase synchrony of different frequency bands of the EEG. So the frequency bands of the EEG are these, uh, uh, which have been kind of defined in literature and uh, uh, like the, which you have maybe heard of as, as brain waves, so alpha brain wave or beta brain, brain wave and, and so on. They have given these uh, Greek letters and as such, uh, their power, uh, like how strong each of these uh, brain brainwaves are, uh, can can be seen as, as indicating certain mental states. But um, uh, what what we have measured here is then how similar they are in time. So that's the phase synchrony. So it it looks at the uh, 
at the waves and in kind of which position they are, if they're going up or down, and then compares that uh, changes in that that uh, shape of the wave uh, between the two people. So if they are changing in a similar way, then we say that there's more synchronization than if they are changing in a dissimilar way. And to be technical, we use something called the circular correlation co coefficient, which, which has then been shown, shown in, in the, my opinion, very convincing paper by, by uh, Burgess uh, to be a quite robust measure of this this interbase synchronization and especially phase synchronization. And uh, what we uh, did was that we divided then uh, all the EG electrodes uh, that we were measuring into different uh, areas so that we could get a little bit stronger signal because there's a lot of uh, noise in the EG signal. So. Uh, using single electrodes is, is possible, but then um, it can be quite uh, like you can get much better signal quality if you average uh, together a certain uh, a, a certain amount of electrodes. And uh, yeah, so th that was our our measure of of uh, EG synchrony, and uh, what we then uh, how we how we pursued with the analysis was was that we took the um, uh, performance, like we've calculated kind of total performance or average performance for, for each of these uh, pairs who were, who were doing the task uh, over all the, all the tracks. So they were playing four tracks and in each track they took, took both of these roles. So total uh, eight sessions and then we actually did the same um, uh, session uh, two times so we could compare uh, two two different uh, like how 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 a break affects these measures and uh, yeah we took the average performance of, of each pair and then we found like uh, the closest pairs which had the most similar performance to, to that pair and then we swapped the pairs so so that they kept the same order of uh, completing it, the task and same uh, temporal order but we, we uh, swapped them around. So we had then like these kind of false pairs which hadn't played played the game together, but but had performed uh, as similarly as, as, we, as was possible with our data, data set. And this was the, the uh, first stage of analysis that we did to uh, compare then these uh, false pairs to the uh, re real pairs. And uh, the result from that uh, was that we could then identify in which uh, which frequency bands and and which uh, uh, areas there could be then something interesting, something that has to do with the interaction. Because anything that we would then measure from from these uh, false pairs would be uh, something that. Um, is not relevant for the interaction because obviously they had not played together. And uh, what we found can, can be seen in uh, figure three of, of, of the article. And uh, you can see here uh, where, where we found uh, significant differences. So not everywhere, uh, 
uh, but still in a quite wi wide range, range of different uh, frequency bands, especially in the alpha, beta, and gamma frequency bands. So if you look at the plots there, so around between, um, let's say, 7 and, and 40 hertz in, in our range, we could uh, find differences. And then in the occipital, parietal, central, and frontal electrode uh, sites, so based on that, we we then uh, took a closer look at uh, at those areas and those frequencies, and uh, compared that to the performance in the task. And then we found that the, there was a, that the synchrony could predict the performance uh, to a certain extent. So uh, we we found that the higher mean alpha synchrony uh, was uh, associated with better performance in the task when measuring uh, like when comparing the pairs with each other so so a pair which uh, in which uh, we could uh, measure higher alpha synchrony was perf typically performing better than a pair with, with lower alpha synchrony there also was a connection with the visual spe spatial test score in the in the this uh, uh, multiple uh, multiple regression models uh, which was quite quite strong as well to the alpha synchrony. And uh, additionally, we found then with the, this uh, granular analysis, which I was explaining earlier, uh, that uh, gamma synchrony was connected within a pair, within one pair, uh, to to performance. So if there was at some point higher uh, gamma synchrony, then the the performance was also likely likely higher. And uh, also uh, with the, this granular measurement, we end up noticing because we are we're using time also in the model to to uh, kind of control for that aspect because uh, it, we thought it could could have an effect on synchronization that it changes over time. So we ended up finding that uh, in all all the three frequency bands the uh, Effect was such that uh, that synchrony was uh, becoming lower over time while while people were uh, play, playing the game. So in the beginning, especially in the beta band, if you look uh, at the figure four in the paper, you can see it. This, especially in the beta band, there was like a kind of uh, in the beginning a strong synchronization, which then started to slowly slowly decline. But then again. Uh, uh, we found also that that the break had such an effect that after the break the, the synchronization was generally uh, higher, and this effect somehow occurred in in all frequency band, but especially in the in the beta band. So this is something interesting, and for which um, I don't have a clear uh, idea why, but but there might be uh, some results related to video gaming also that I mentioned in the discussion of the paper that, that could have something to do with it. But it's definitely interesting and also something to take into account if uh, if wanting to focus on increasing uh, this kind of synchronization in in some online interaction that, that maybe there's a certain uh, length, length of, uh, of a task or a, like an activity that, that is most uh, beneficial and then how these breaks could affect it and so on. So 
of course, like um, one uh, re reason for this uh, study is also the idea that or that we could uh, improve this kind of online interaction with with uh, increasing maybe some synchronization online and so on. So, so from from those point of views, this uh, time-based effects are also also very interesting. So. Um, um we have listed in the paper quite many different uh, explanations that that could uh, have to do with this uh, these results that we are presenting but what i think it it uh, especially um tends to underline for me is that uh, that i think that uh, a, a large part of of this phenomenon of interbrain synchronization uh, or an important part at least, especially when it comes to cooperative performance and per task performance is, is likely to do with uh, attention because in, in this case, of course, there, there could be some, some um, pre like part of it has, could, could have to do with uh, trying to predict other person's actions and, and intentions and su such things. But also I think there's the probably a, is an important par, part in the uh, like if, if uh, perf uh, performance is, is better when the synchrony is higher then I would expect that um, that it has to do with uh, attending to the task so when you're paying more attention to the task you, you're probably doing better and it's a kind of clear uh, and maybe not so exciting idea but then again uh, quite important that that uh, if you think that you're, you're like how uh, this kind of so social cognition works, a lot of it is about uh, also paying attention to, to each other and, and to the same things like how, how we are interacting socially is a lot about like, hey, look at that. And are you looking at the same thing as me? Are we, are we you know, experiencing the same thing? So, so yeah, that's my maybe key takeaway that, that maybe uh yeah Atten attending to the same thing at the same time is it's what uh, what is uh, very important for for this interbrain synchronization to occur all right maybe i would like to open the floor for question at this point if that's all right yeah thank you so much um for um, uh, explaining your work to us. And th it's really interesting. Um, and you answered <laughs> kind of a, a few questions I had, but um, are you planning or maybe currently looking at maybe people with, I, I assume that um, all the participants were healthy or did you check if the participants were all healthy? Uh, yeah, in this uh, study, we purposefully recruited like uh, people who are healthy and right-handed and so on in, in that way, homogenous pool. Yeah, so are you planning on maybe um, looking at people with um, mental health disorders or maybe uh, developmental disorders like autism or people with depression, if um, they kind of are able to synchronize the same way because 
I'm asking is that uh, let's let's say for the pressure um, that there's this model that people kind of feel apart from the rest of the environment and feel like they're kind of separate from the environment from people and it would be interesting to see if if that would also reflect in this ability of synchronization that is kind of uh, down regulated or less or um, if it's the same and if that could maybe even improve um, depression states if they kind of have this task every day to synchronize with other people um i don't know what you think yeah i think that's very interesting i i did have a uh i did make a project earlier which was like uh, a kind of game for attempting to increase this synchronization so i think that that kind of uh, interaction would, would be very interesting to study with with some some uh, such such group of people i think when it comes to lab studies then our group is maybe not the right one to do that because i think that it would make sense to do that kind of uh, study in, in then in face-to-face -face situation and whereas we are focusing really on this digital uh, digital interaction but yeah 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 i agree like but it would be interesting since I think it's kind of a more controlled environment than when people are face to face, um, because it kind of, I think your way of doing it, there are less factors involved. It's like kind of pure synchronization for like a task. And yeah, I think it would be really interesting to do that because then if like, I don't know, other sensory information is involved, it will be harder to say if just a pure being, you know, physically in a room with more people would be enough, you know, or if it's really the, the interacting together and synchronized that way, if that would make a difference. I think, I think your model is, is more uh, a cleaner than maybe having uh, people present what do you think yeah I, I agree that you can control much better what is going on or what what kind of aspects affect that and maybe maybe a study in which uh, having both would be of course <laughs> yeah always it's easy to then think what we do would do with like a, a lot of resources but yeah to have both then could compare that like how how is uh, then a group of people like who who is maybe depressed or has some other reason why maybe so, social interaction is is more difficult to how it compares then this online interaction and and then face-to-face -face interaction and when it comes to this synchronization that would be pretty cool and also i think your work is really interesting because a lot of people still work from home now and it would be really important you know there's such a variety of responses at some companies and people say it's less good uh, for collaboration coming up with new ideas and stuff where it's better or people work more or less it would be interesting to see if there is like 
you know, like either different mental health disorders or other characteristics of people are just able, are just better at um, synchronizing maybe remotely and other people are just not, would be a really interesting way to screen also for companies that, okay, you should come in, you can work from home type of thing. Uh, I think also for people themselves to know, like, okay, I don't perform well just remote or I'm fine. I can, you know, I can just work remote. Um, would be interesting. What What do you think? Yeah, for sure. If if we could uh, could really like take uh, make assess assessment of, of people's ability in that way. And what what I personally have been thinking and I'm quite interested in is whether we could use this kind of measurement also to improve interfaces. So so making changes and then uh, changes to a remote working or so remote play gaming or whatever uh, social social interface and then try to change it in a way which then promotes this this synchronization that that i think would be very interesting but of course quite uh, costly <laughs> to make always a neuroscience experiment in each like state stage of, of improving it yeah and my last question before you know lavina maybe wants to ask question of other people in the audience, uh, please raise your hand, but um, did something change like when people um, played online gaming together and kind of synchronized pretty well, did they get to meet each other before and after and did they somehow change, like were they kind of maybe friendlier or did the interaction between those two people change or didn't you look for it? Uh, so in this experiment, we actually invited uh, pairs of people who were already friends or even partners. So we, uh, of course, one part was that it was easy to recruit pairs in this way, that they came to the lab together, because in some other experiments, we have noticed that it's often then that one person cancels and then the other person comes there and then we kind of run the experiment, which sucks. But also we wanted to have a... A group of people homogeneous in this way because uh, we made just the data analysis easier because other uh, other experiments have shown that this closeness can have an effect. But in this case, the people were close, so they came there together and left together. But only feedback I got uh, was just anecdotal, and I think, uh, in my opinion, it maybe reflected more their relationship as such. So it. Uh, it could have um, probably been the same result, but I remember there were some couples who were like bickering after the game, like, why did you do this? Why did you, uh, you know, make us crash into the wall? And then again, there was maybe some some pairs which were like kind of had this uh, excited feeling afterwards, like someone who has maybe done sports together might have as well. So, I think maybe reflecting more the dynamics of the people themselves, like their relationships. Oh, that's interesting. And did you check if they synchronized better, the ones that were, or did it make a difference at their performance? How they were like acting as a, as a couple, that's interesting. 
Yeah, we didn't. Uh, we didn't. So we just uh, tried to keep the pool homogeneous in the way they rated their closeness to each other, and uh, then um, the only anal analysis we made comparing the couples was based on the performance in the task and the uh, results of the visual special intelligence test and so on. So, so I, the behavior we didn't relate. To it. It's a some interesting challenge, like how to compare like this kind of qualitative data and and neuroscientific data. Yeah, would be cool to try to do at some point. Yeah, thank you. Lavina, did you have a question or comment? Hopefully that's better. Um, sorry about that. Uh, I did have a question, um, and that was uh, probably two. Uh, one is more on, um, you know, understanding that this is driving social behaviors uh, and in interactions or possibly doing that, right, in terms of, uh, you know, enhancing uh, social relationships. Um, question for me is, do you sort of see any um, ethical uh, or sort of, um, um, I don't know what's the right word, but, you know, there's things like digital nudging that kind of happens uh, in, in what we use in our daily apps at the moment. And this is where we have subtle influence or subtle manipulation, for a lack of a better word, that happens. And I'm just wondering from a uh, collective uh, intelligence perspective, um, is that something that we should uh, start thinking about, or um, is that a concern at all? Um, you mean like I think, if I understand correctly, you mean like a, how how these uh, social media companies might be kind of manipulating us with algorithms or is is that related to your question yeah yeah so uh in terms of us being able to uh, i mean from this experiment you know having the synchronicity uh, of brain activities or behaviors um you know this allows for room of manipulation um on 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 a much subtle scale right that currently exists anyway um, like, for example, you know, um, the adverts that we see, the kind of content that we get, um, you know, so do you think that there's room for this to be misused at all? Right, all right. Uh, well, uh, I'm sure that to some extent, maybe some neuroscientific measurements in, in the interface design or, or so could, could have a, like could be used in, in such a way, but maybe this uh, specific uh, analysis when it comes to interbrain synchronization between two people who are actually interacting with each other, then uh, it's not maybe so uh, so relevant for the mass scale kind of manipulation because for it to, it to be useful, it has to be an interface where two people are working together, interacting uh, together. So, uh, it may be more for people who actually know who they are interacting with and want to do it because it would be quite costly for them uh, such mass scale manipulation to have then always a counterpart who is trying to yeah so personally i don't uh, think that this this particular measurement is so 
So, Great. Uh, Thank you so much for that. Uh, I probably had a follow-up question in terms of if you had a magic wand and you could pretty much, uh, you know, um, have uh, an ultimate sort of outcome um, through, you know, various uh, sets of uh, experiments, what would that uh, sort of ideal uh, outcome that you would seek for? Yeah, that's amazing. Amazing question. I think um, I think I would uh, pursue uh, trying to create like a very um, very um, interface which produces then a lot of connection between the people who are using it, and maybe something that uh, interests myself a lot at the moment is the effects of uh, latency, which we didn't uh, tackle in this experiment. So we minimize the latency by having one computer actually producing the image to, to both. So there was no network uh, connection involved. But uh, also, I, I would imagine that especially la larger latency will, will cause uh, trouble with this kind of direct uh, direct connection and understanding. Like we can already see in, in uh, online calls that it's harder to take turns, especially with a big group of people in a discussion. Uh, so I would try to tackle that aspect. And then I would be very curious to see if it's possible to then uh, take certain uh, features of, of uh, our behavior and predict them. So so to make them actually occur before they occur, like in, in some neuroscience experiments, uh, it has been shown that uh, 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 these kind of uh, vol volitional choices can be predicted before they occur, like uh, as a as a physical reaction. So uh, maybe in somewhere we could predict a lot of things and you know send it over the network so that it actually occurs at the right time when it reaches the recipient. So that if I had ultimate uh, or limitless resources, something like that, I would pursue. Thank you so much for that. Hi, Frank. Uh, did you want to ask a question? Yeah. <clears throat> Am I audible? Can yep. you hear me? Perfect. Yep. All right. So um, thanks so much for the presentation, Vati. Um, on page nine, you, you're writing. Um, our study also showed that inter-individual synchronization of oscillatory brain activity over several frequency bands can occur without physical presence or direct visual or auditory information of the counterpart of the interaction. What I found that fascinating, this uh, and would take probably a whole room to talk about what is actually presence, but did you... Um, did you differentiate uh, between visual and auditory uh, reception and and if so, what are the what are the different impacts on these frequencies? Thank you. Uh, so in the experiment, there was no audio as such, but maybe these sentences could have been formulated better also in in the paper because now that I <laughs> read it like this, uh, it made me think because what we are trying to say here is that uh, what what if we didn't have like a video link or audio link between the people so of course there was some visual information in the form of the game itself but yeah does that answer the 
question or so you you just have have the game and and the uh in these um frequencies and that's what you measure and and, and that's it so you have no no uh differentiation between uh, uh visual stimuli uh, or auditory stimuli towards those that, that are measured no no in this experiment because we only had the visual stimuli in that way but of course um, as we uh, as our results were showing that uh, there was a strong uh, oscillatory or in the osc uh, sorry uh, not oscillatory occipital uh, area was was some of the strongest uh, synchronization so that would uh, be related could could be related either to the, the visual uh, processing which must have played an important role so the visual visual motor task in essence yeah yeah okay thank you so uh, very much looking forward to something that differentiates that but but thank you so much for for this presentation that highlights the direction that I'm that I'm also on thank you thanks hey eric did you have a question welcome yeah hi um so i was wondering uh, using these kind of studies it seems very um exploratory and very exciting uh one of the questions that uh, my supervisor had asked in these kind of situations was what kind of therapies can we develop from these kind of results if any so uh that, that's kind of uh, my question uh if there's any therapeutic uh benefit here so for example when i was doing multi-sensory integration with optical flow we were looking at hey can we use this to help older people recalibrate their um, proprioception and their auditory and visual field so they can avoid falls for example and that was an interesting problem to think of while we were doing the thing so if there was any sort of therapeutic or if you have a different way of organizing the problems or maybe there's a different kind of question you give your students uh, i'd be uh, very curious to hear what that is thanks yeah i think uh, what this research uh as it's aiming at improving uh, the sense of connection over digital means, then uh, maybe most obvious one to me is then the, to to improve then uh, maybe like these kind of interactions between uh, between care, caretaker and and patient in online. So improving this uh, this connection would be like. A, could be an end result, but but then uh, I guess interbrain synchronization itself could be a ther therapeutic for for then this kind of group of people who who might have some social social uh, limitation uh, or or divergence from from other other groups. So, uh, but like. Uh, we were discussing earlier uh, and i'm not sure whether whether well there has been studies of, of uh, autistic people for example or this spectrum uh, patient in, in relation to this but but possibly uh, it, it could have a therapeutic use there if, if uh, yeah we would have to first show that this. Oh, okay, like in a caretaker situation. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, and in general, to 
yeah in any situation where we could see that uh, increasing connection between people can be beneficial i, I suppose but i should, i think our, our research is is gen generally quite uh, ba basic neuroscience uh, focused so we don't always we don't always uh, yeah yeah that's why uh, it's a difficult and interesting uh, research question to give to the students because then everything is uh, forced to turn into a, a therapy eventually so you end up thinking more instead instead of uh, maybe a five ten year uh, horizon you think of a 70 year horizon uh, and then he added this additional joke which was uh, imagine you had three billion dollars so what could you do then so <laughs> yeah but obviously very wild very wild questions thank you thank you Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, did anyone? Oh, I see in the chat, uh, Mustafa asked, um, "What the um, interest is itself of synchronization between two brains? When the synchronization is highlighted, what would be the use case?" Um, I think we kind of answered it a little bit, but if you want to, if you want to comment to this question, but please. Go ahead. Yeah, of course, uh, it's a quite wide, wide question, of course, but um, maybe something uh, interesting to think about is the social cognition itself. So what we maybe think that how it works is that we somehow or one one way of doing is, is that uh, that when we are uh, observing another person we to some extent try to bring them their mind into our mind so we try to experience things together with them so so maybe that's why this uh, this measure is so interesting that maybe it, it to some extent uh, is very uh, relevant for this kind of very, very fundamental questions of, of of philosophical questions even but yeah uh, use cases uh for for this at least in the digital environment is like uh the ones which i have identified are the but we already talk about like improving the interfaces but then uh also which i haven't i think brought up now in this session but um is uh this kind of uh also ice breaking activities so maybe uh online interaction could need more of those that before we go get down to work when we start solving problems or, or working on document maybe we would need a gaming session or something to to bring us to the this somewhat synchronized state that we are paying attention to the same thing and we are in on the same wavelength so to speak but yeah maybe something like that could be the use cases for this Yeah, I agree um, with you that it's, you know, collaboration. We need to, you know, in some way emphasize with the other person and kind of uh, be, <laughs> be in, to some extent in other people's shoes. Or um, So uh, I agree that uh, brain synchronization that way <clears throat> makes a lot of sense because humans have to collaborate actually quite a lot to get things done and uh, 
I think it's probably getting more and more important um, and uh, to do that also uh, in you know people that are far away from each other it's it would be really interesting to like you know see if people that would just perform the same task if they have kind of similar brainwave patterns or if that would be completely different like did you have a control like that that uh, people would just um i don't know repair repair a bicycle or something <laughs> even online and then if uh, is that some some sort of control you had that people had like independent tasks that are very very similar and would you see also similar brain synchronization or was it just um very different um, how brains activity would you know reflect what people were doing yeah we had only this kind of very strict uh, control of the so-called false pairs so the those people were then doing this exact same task and just with not with each other but but of course uh uh some uh, very early studies related to this in the brain synchronization were exploring movies, if I don't remember wrongly, so people were watching the same movies and then they could show that, uh, that of course, that the brain synchronized when they were watching the same thing, but uh, also that the type of movie had a difference and I have a feeling it had in that study, they were relating it to emotional content of, of those movies. But um, I so, think I got really, really derailed. Sorry. Oh no, it's it's good. Thank you. And then, did like military um, find this interesting because they might have to synchronize really well to like, um, you know, from people that are on the field versus people that are remote. Um, I don't know, sending drones or something. Is that um are they interested in this type of research um that that's one question and then the other thing is how, do you think your data will be useful for uh, for example training then robots and drone swarms to basically uh, synchronize their actions to perform tasks like as a swarm basically the First question is really uh, interesting and a good good opportunity to bring up the uh, concept of uh, interpersonal synchronization. So, but maybe uh, interbrain synchronization is somehow based on, or at least is very related to. So, like uh, we probably know that uh, humans like to do this, so we like to do the same thing at the same time. Uh, for example, with dancing or singing together or uh, playing music together and so on, but, but especially then this can be seen in military where people march together and that this has been thought that it's uh, increasing then this kind of uh, affiliation with the group, so you feel more uh, part of a group if you do such activities together. So uh, I haven't seen uh, military-related research to interbrain synchronization as such, but I could imagine that there might be some interest there as well. 
uh, oh yeah the warfighter application <laughs> would probably be one of those keywords you want to look up but i also immediately think of like nasa applications where you have uh uh, the kind of coordination and synchronization that's required in space because space itself is very unforgiving So unforgiving dangerous environments seems like a killer application for this kind of synchronization There is another thing too <clears throat> I come from this at, from a very different angle and the thing is that If you the military applications, you don't really need to do it there to begin with because, and the reason is that uh, you will likely find that if you, let's take special forces training, Marine Corps training, when they are trained to understand things in the, to, to understand what they are looking at, etc., and to interpret that in the same way, you get brains to naturally, then if, if you understand something the same and look at the same image, so to speak, or the same view, you will likely draw similar conclusions, which is the reason why special forces soldiers, for example, can communicate with very, very little, with very small means, because they already understand each other, because they are looking at the same thing, interpreting it the same way, and that is useful. So that is likely why you get a similar thing when you look at a game, if the game is understood and the rules for the game are understood the same way, so if we take that, that can be taken a whole lot further. Anyway, I I have a lot of more thoughts about this and uh, things that I have some level of knowledge about, but uh, I may go off pissed here and go off track. But uh, this is um, coming from a shared understanding, etc. You definitely get the results that uh, I think we're talking about here. And that can be applied way wider and it can be and it's very little used in areas outside of uh, elite sports uh, and elite elite functions when it comes to like special forces etc in it can be massively used in lots of other areas but it's not because it's not understood very well and the 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 advantages of it and the payoffs because you can scale technology easily, but this is the core of scaling human interaction in an effective way. Anyway, I hope this, I came in late here, so I, I apologize if I go off, if I've gone off the subject. I think that's a very, very good uh, input. And also good point of view, this like acting together as a unit because that's also what the experiment is uh, really about, because the two, two people were driving the same car. So they were acting really like as one one unit. And the question about the drone swarm, uh, I guess it's related, but then it get, goes more to the AI side. And maybe what would be then question to ask is that uh, uh, probably the AI can learn from human behavior, but can it really learn from uh, human brain data uh, i i'm not sure the data is so noisy that's just uh, as a neuroscientist i'm always skeptical <laughs> yeah i don't know the so you mean the data is so noisy for them to learn but isn't that also something they could maybe learn from because 
you know, AIs are currently good at performing tasks that are kind of very predictable, but if something unpredictable comes along, they're kind of really not good at reacting in a way that makes sense. Is Don't you think the noise, what we call noise, is, is keeping the system kind of also um, active in a way that it could also perform in a in a in a big like in a larger range if you only have exactly the activity you need and you blend everything else like over uh, simplify it then you don't really have a range to deal with unpredictable stuff maybe i think no i think you you're right and uh... And of course, also have to maybe at some point to start thinking about simulation. So how we could simulate then this kind of social brain processes. I'm sure someone has already done it. I just haven't seen the paper, but but yeah. Peter, did you have any? You can go into your thoughts. I think we have a few minutes. Um, if you want to add some of your thoughts. Did you say to me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I have looked very much about how, how you can get, I haven't, I've only to a limited extent uh, had any, I, I know how what is the likelihood of getting uh, with without running the experiments but i can probably give a whole lot of experiments that could be run where i can predict what you will find quite accurately because the thing is that the the shared understanding of things and that is a thing that humans assume they have a shared understanding about things to a large extent. So I come from it from a very from the kind of the opposite angle, I guess. And there, when you have a fundamental shared understanding, then you it improves the communication and it also gives the outcome indirectly what we're talking about here. And uh, that is a very interesting very a very interesting way because the the ability for people to explore things and work together and be able to move fast together because it's it's the, it's supposedly an african saying if you want to move far move alone if you want to move far if, if you want to move fast move alone if you want to move far move with other people but the thing here is that you can do that if you lay the foundation, which is why air people like the Marine Corps have the basic training and also do it the way they do it. It's a very crude way to do it because they don't understand what it is that they achieve, but they achieve the foundation for people to look at things in a similar way if that makes sense. And that can be done in other areas too. Sadly, it that, that training is not happening at school and it doesn't happen in businesses. And it, it rarely happens in other areas, but it's 
absolutely crucial as far as I can tell. So it, it it's it's a different angle, I think, than uh, I would say that what I'm talking about is you're getting the outcomes that uh, you have the result for here. So, and if it can be worked the other way around, I cannot say much about, but I find, I, I, I know that the way that, that I suggest, it's not easy, but it, it, it works. If it works the other way around, I am not as sure of, but that's interesting to observe for me. Yeah, so what I found is interesting, so when I did uh, PTSD studies with different groups of people, um, firefighters, police officers, soldiers, and, uh, you know, regular civilians, people that had PTSD, PTSD versus not had. In soldiers, compared to other groups, PTSD actually occurs relatively less. Uh, firefighters, the percentage of PTSD is way higher than in soldiers. And I met with uh, soldiers then, um, and they explained to me how the training works, at least in the US versus in firefighters and others, is that the, the first training is they never say I anymore. They never see themselves as an individual anymore. Whenever they address, uh, they never address themselves. They say we, like they always have to see themselves in the group. They always have to talk that way too. And this was really interesting because the data, also then I did some resilience studies and Holocaust survivors and so on data that the highest marker for resilience or, you know, for having PTSD, one of the highest one was the pronouns. The more people just use I or myself or, you know, something related to that they feel apart from the rest, um, those had, you know, the, the highest symptoms with PTSD, uh, you know, they, they didn't bounce back well in the resilience studies and so on. And I thought it was really interesting that just by training people, how they see themselves and, and to see themselves in a group, that, that was really interesting. So that's why I thought the synchronization data would be really cool to test if people with depression or PTSD would perform the same way or if they would improve by doing the synchronization test. There, there, there was a thing in the in the past. There is an expression in French called "nom, nom de guerre," i.e., name of war. That was, and that re, that refers to that when people went out to war, they took on a name for the war, so they left the their identity as a farmer or what what have you behind them when they went to war and when they left the war, if they had survived, they left the name behind them there too and went back to the name, the normal name as a farmer or whatever it might have been. So that, as far as I can tell, links into what you have, what you have found there because what 
the ugliness of the war happen to another entity and they could view that as 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 a in as a separate person in a way so you have a lot of things like that that there is a lot of evidence for too and i think that to me it sounded like that is what you found in in your what you looked at and there are lots of other things like that that i that that are very very interesting yeah also in holocaust survivors that when they talked about what happened to them and the camps and so on people that addressed always this this happened to us we went through this like they did this to us they kind of had the not saying that they were healthy but um but they had a regular life you know a job a family like in that kind of term they bounced back um in quite impressive ways uh versus people that <clears throat> and the interesting thing is the level of trauma doesn't really matter it matters more how people saw it and how people felt after like there was a really interesting studies with burn um, victims they measured the the different types of burns and it was not related at all the severity with uh, the outcome if they would have ptsd or not it was more uh, other factors that what came after if they felt like alone and stuff like that that were more important so i think that's it your your research is really interesting in the mental health type of perspective and yeah it would be really cool if you or if you would reach out to collaborate maybe with people that that have patients and and try this out and and see if there are differences and if it would make a difference in therapeutic outcomes so yeah thank you yeah thanks i agree it's very interesting thoughts that and also hear about this uh group like firefighters or so would be very curious to to also test just uh, that kind of group compared to uh compared to the uh, like let's say a non-trained group so a group who has learned to act as a unit and to see if there's really some some clear difference there or not but then also also with the therapeutic use maybe uh if if there's a difference then with with this PTSD uh, group, for example. Nice ideas. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I know we've been going over an hour now. So um, if anyone has a last question or comment, please go ahead. Uh, if not, I think we'll close the room and let Vata enjoy his rest of the Friday evening, I guess, for you. <laughs> okay, so, well, thank you so much for coming here and sharing your research. This is really interesting and I think will be really useful in a lot of different ways. So um, I hope you will, you know, you get a lot of funding and collaborations to um you know to continue with this do you do you are you planning to continue after um you know are you planning to continue to work in this field and and do more research in this direction 
uh, in one, one way or, or another, yeah. Let's see how it turns out, but yeah, for sure. And thank you so much, so much. It was very nice to visit here and, and everyone enjoyed their weekend. Yeah, thank you. And once you, if you have updates or some projects you want to share with us, please feel always invited to come back. Uh, it was such a pleasure having you here. And uh, yeah, we are curious to follow along um, your research and uh, your career. So thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye, and thanks everyone for coming um, and interacting and asking questions. We'll have more rooms next week again. Uh, we have a Dr. Florindo. She's from a research, cancer researcher from Lisbon. She will talk about uh, cancer immunotherapy that she made with very in a very cheap way basically and scalable way because usually it's really expensive and um, quite complicated but she made the project to kind of find a way to do this very affordable and scalable and so that hopefully everyone in the future will have access to this cancer immunotherapy which is a quite successful way of treating cancer so she will talk about it on Monday at 2 p.m. And then we'll have uh, Dr. Lazarov. He restores memories and mice with Alzheimer's disease. Um, and then on Wednesday, we'll have um, model predictive organism design with biophysics and machine learning uh, with Dr. Howard Salas. And uh, Thursday, we'll have Venkataramani talking about uh, glioblastoma and how they, they, this cancer type manages to invade the brain because it's a quite severe aggressive cancer type and they figured out how it manages <coughs> to invade the brain. Um, and on Friday we'll have Dr. Goodyear uh, talking about um, how he visualizes heartbeats in vivo with the uh, antibody dye that he developed. It's really cool. He has like very cool videos of um, heartbeats uh, and how they go along the muscle. So yeah, uh, I hope I hear you all back soon. Thank you, Vata. Enjoy your weekend. It was such a pleasure having you and uh, bye everyone. Close the room Thank three. you, bye. Thank you, Lavina. It was nice having you here. Thank yeah, you. you too. Nice seeing you again. Three, two, one. Bye, everyone.